And good morning, church, and God bless you. What an honor and joy to be here again and to share in the fellowship of this church family. Great music, good fellowship. And how many of you believe that the best people in all of West Virginia are here today? If I could just see your hand. You know, I usually get a unanimous vote on that. Excuse me, just one moment. How many of you can say allergies? What a great time of the year for that. I was conducting a wedding yesterday, and very seldom now do I do weddings, but conducted a wedding yesterday. Everything was going smoothly, beautiful ceremony, and just as I started to speak, it all just choked up, and I struggled and stumbled trying to get words together, not because I was emotional, but because of the allergy issues going on. But it is so good to be here with you. I love your pastor. What a great man of God. 25 years he's been here serving this church family and preaching the gospel and winning souls to our Lord and leading a church to make an eternal difference and impact on the world. And I I love Brother Kenny and just found out from Travis, of course, just the other day about the, the surgery and the issues going on there. I join you in praying for his quick recovery And God's people said, Amen. Uh, We certainly thank God for him. And then Travis and the team that you sent with us last summer to Haiti. What a great team you gave us. Thank you for allowing us to have your people on mission with us. I'm telling you, they worked tirelessly in a very difficult environment, oppressive heat, and uh, just roads that are beat up, and they're still recovering from an earthquake uh, back in uh, 2010, and uh, but your people worked so hard and poured in and poured out the love of God into the lives of so many, uh, helped us establish a new church there in Haiti, saw dozens and dozens of people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And while I'm saying all that, let me just tell you that if you uh, have been praying about a mission, a mission trip, we would love to have you join us, whether it's in Haiti or Uganda. I just got back on Thursday from Burma, where we have a ministry there. And it's a great time to be the church. It's a great time to take the gospel all over the world. And would love to have uh, any of you join us on one of our future trips. Just pray about it. Let me know. Contact us or let your pastor or Brother Travis know. And uh, we can make that happen and put that all together. Well, having said all of that, it's my privilege and opportunity to bring the word of the living God. So, you have your Bibles. Let me call your attention this morning to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. The Apostle Paul, writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this letter to a young preacher by the name of Timothy. And this is what he says to him. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves, teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then he says this, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love His appearing. That's a good place for an amen, don't you think? Let's take a moment and pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for this church, what it stands for. These, my brothers and my sisters in Christ, the family of God. And Lord, we want to be your people. We want to live to bring you honor and glory and praise. So speak to our hearts today. Lord, may we hear not the voice of the preacher, but the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking eternal truth into our lives. Lord, for someone here today who's never met our Savior, Lord, we pray that today will be the day of salvation, to be born into the family of God, to place their faith, their trust, and their hope in Jesus Christ alone. And then, Father, we thank you for our pastor, the man of God who leads us. We pray, Lord, your hand mighty on his life. Lord, we pray for his quick recovery, a speedy healing And Lord, that you'll return return him soon to this family of God as he leads your people. Now, Lord, give us ears to hear your voice and respond to your truth. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. You know, when I read that passage of Scripture, I'm reminded of a story I read some years ago about a young mother who had four children. Now, listen to the ages of her children. They were two, four, six, and eight. Exactly two years apart. Now, anybody can tell you that a mother with children those ages is a busy mother. Can I get an amen in the house, ladies? You know what I'm talking about. Well, one particular day, while the children were occupied playing games and playing their toys, she slipped out. Listen, it was only for a moment. But she slipped out on the front porch to tidy up. She's watering flowers. She's putting away toys. She's sweeping the porch. But while she was doing those things, she suddenly realized that it had become extremely quiet in the house. Any busy mother with children those ages will tell you, if it's quiet in the house, something's going on in the house. So she left her chores and she walked into the living room and to her shock and surprise, this is what she found. While she was in the front just taking care of those chores, the children had slipped into the backyard and found a family of skunks. They'd opened the door and brought the skunks into the house. And so now the children are seated in the living room in a semicircle around the skunks and they're playing with the skunks. Well, when mother walked in and saw what was happening, she flew into a panic. You can imagine, she screamed, children, everybody run. So each child grabbed a skunk and they went running. 
through the house. That story reminds me that it never does any good to panic, does it? And the truth is, if anybody had a reason to panic, well, it's the man who wrote that passage of Scripture that we have before us. Let me quickly give you the background to 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul is now on death row. His crime, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Rome is going to put him to death. He is a prisoner. He is in chains. They've chained him like an animal. And Paul knows that in a few days they're going to take him from that Roman dungeon and they're going to execute him on the gallows and they will sever his head from his body and send his soul into eternity where he's going to meet his Lord. So you understand when the Apostle Paul writes these words, writing to a young preacher by the name of Timothy, he is literally writing out his last will and testament. This is the last message he's ever going to deliver. Last sermon he's ever going to preach. The last letter he's ever going to write. And he writes to encourage the heart of a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And the things that he wrote to encourage Timothy, I pray that God might use to encourage us this morning as God's people, the called out, the set apart, those who know and love Jesus Christ. Now, there's some important truths in that passage of Scripture that Paul reminds Timothy of. We don't have time to deal with all of the wonderful truth that's there. But let me just call your attention to a few thoughts from that passage. First of all, did you notice that Paul reminds Timothy that there's going to be a day when our Savior, our Lord, our King, our God, Jesus Christ, is going to come again. He mentions it in there in verse 1 when he says, at his appearing, at his kingdom. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about that moment in time when God closes the curtain on human history as we know it. And Jesus Christ comes again. You see, the Bible says the trumpet is going to sound. The sky is going to split wide open. And King Jesus is going to come back. Folks, I preach that in some churches, and they look at me as if I made that up. Folks, that's the truth of the Bible. That's the truth of Scripture. As a matter of fact, the book of Titus tells us that that is the hope, the blessed hope for the church of Jesus Christ. We are reminded that this world will not forever rebel against a holy God, but there will come a moment in time when Jesus Christ returns Do you know the last recorded prayer of the Bible found in Revelation chapter 22 is, even so, come, come Lord Jesus, come. That ought to be the prayer of the church of God. That ought to be the prayer of every saint, a longing and a yearning for the return of Jesus Christ. He is going to come again. I was preaching in a church in Richmond, Virginia, and it's a church I'd been at a number of times. And uh, this particular Sunday, I was the guest, and I walked in getting ready to preach, and the church secretary (laughs) took me aside. She said, Brother Rick, I got a question before you preach today. She said, (laughs) are you going to preach on the second coming of Jesus again? She said, it seems like every time you come to our church, you have something to say about the return of Jesus Christ. Well, I got to thinking about that. You know, she's right. It seems like every time I'm preaching somewhere, I'm reminding people that there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come again. Well, 
in the New Testament alone, the scripture tells us over 300 times that there's going to be a moment in time when Jesus returns. I thought, well, if the scripture can tell us 300 times, I guess I can preach it 300 times that Jesus is going to come again. Now, let me be honest with you. There is so much about the end of time, fulfillment of prophecy, last days, I'm all of that. There's so much there I don't understand. Now, maybe you've got all the answers. But I have a feeling that most of us are probably in the same condition. Just don't know how it all fits together, how it's all going to play out. I know this. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to simply read the Bible, look at what is happening in the world around us, and see, folks, that every event is reminding us, get ready, he's going to come again. Everything seems to be shouting at us. Jesus Christ is coming, and he's coming soon. Uh, Listen, I don't know who the 666 is spoken of in the book of Revelation. I, I have no clue. Anybody here know? Not a single one of us. Maybe Pastor Kenny knows. He'd be the only one, all right? I have no clue who the 666 is. I know this. I know our world is sick, sick, sick. Amen. And needs the hope that's found in one place, and that's in Jesus Christ alone. I don't know who the Antichrist is, but thank God I know who Jesus Christ is. And I belong to him and he belongs to me. And I know that my sins have been forgiven and that he has purchased my salvation. And that one day I'm going to spend my eternity with him. Do you know that? Have you come to the place in your own spiritual life where you can say with absolute confidence and assurance, there may be much about the Bible that I don't know and don't understand, but I know this, I know this. I'm a child of God. My sins have been forgiven. I have been to the cross And receive the grace and mercy of God. My name has been written down in God's book of life. And I know this. That when I draw my last breath here. I'll take my next breath there. Amen. That's the assurance that God wants every one of us to have. By the way. If you've never yet settled that issue. You'll have an opportunity today. My prayer for you is that if you've never yet settled the issue of your eternal destiny, that today you'll call on the name of the Lord and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, the one who's going to come again. He's coming back. Ready or not, he will come. Let's make sure our hearts are ready to meet him. And so Paul, writing to this young preacher, says, Timothy, you need to know this. There's going to be a moment in time When Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world, comes again. By the way, when he comes the next time, it will be unlike the way he came the first time. You think about it. How did our Lord appear the first time in human history? Why, he came as the meek, lowly child of Bethlehem. But when he comes the next time, he's not coming back as a baby. Oh, no. He's coming back as the mighty, conquering King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Could I get an amen in the house? That's the way he's going to return. When he came the first time, why the Bible says he went walking down the dusty roads of Galilee. You know, when he comes the next time, he's going to walk on the glory clouds of heaven. When our Lord Jesus came to us in the book of Revelation, he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. When he comes the next time, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that he's riding on that white stallion from heaven. When he came the first time, well, the Bible says he stood before Pontius Pilate. 
Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus Christ comes the next time, Pontius Pilate will stand before Jesus Christ, as will everyone everywhere. When he came the first time, they nailed him on a cross, and they crucified him. When he comes the next time, nobody's going to hang him on a cross. Amen. Nobody's going to scream crucify him. But on that day, the Bible says every knee is going to bow before him. Every tongue will confess to God that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. What an incredible moment that's going to be. Are you ready for that moment? So Paul says, Timothy, first thing you need to know, Jesus will come again. Second thing you need to know is this. Life is short. Well, that's what he says in verse 6. He says, the time of my departure is at hand. That's an interesting way to describe his impending death. Paul's not getting out of prison. He knows he's not going to be liberated. He's not going to be set free. He's going to be executed. And yet he doesn't say, now, Timothy, any day now, I'm going to die. Any day now, you're going to attend my funeral. He, he doesn't use any of that terminology at all. How does he describe his impending death? He says, the time of my departure is at hand. It's an interesting word that was used in the New Testament era to describe. Now catch this. It was a word that they used to describe a ship that's being untied and launched from the docks into the ocean for a journey. That's the word Paul uses. What he's saying is, hey, I'm about to be untied from this world. But my destination (laughs) is that world. I may take my last breath here. I'll take my next breath there. I may close my eyes in death here. But I will open them in eternal life there. That's the promise for the child of God. Do you know only those who know Jesus Christ can have that kind of assurance? Who have that eternal destiny to be able to say with confidence, with absolute certainty, the moment I take my last breath here. What does the Bible say? How did Paul say it to the Corinthian church? He said to be absent from the body. That is, the moment I die and I leave this earthly body behind. Absent from the body means what? Come on, y'all know your Bible. Say it. Present with the Lord in that moment. One moment here, the next moment there in his presence. You see, Paul's reminding us of how brief life is. I'm amazed at how quickly days turn to weeks, weeks turn to months, months turn to years. I don't know how your year goes. My year seems to go something like this. January, February, March, December. I mean, it's just, it rushes by. I know there's other stuff in there, but where in the world does it go? You know, the psalmist prayed this in Psalm 90, verse 12. Listen to what the psalmist prayed. He said, Lord, teach me to number my, do you know the next statement? Days. Somebody said it. If I had written that passage, this is what I would have said. Lord, teach me to number my generations. 
I'm going to be here a long time. Teach me to number my decades. Or at least teach me to number my years. No, that's not what he prays. Lord, teach me to number my days. Why does he pray that prayer? Because the psalmist knew what every single one of us need to know. And that is every day, every day is a gift from God. Could I get an amen? Every day is a gift from God. I don't know I get another one. I have no guarantee about tomorrow. Anybody here have that kind of a guarantee? No. We live our lives. We assume we're going to be here tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year. But the truth is we, we have no guarantees. Do you know the only moment we have for certain is the moment we're living in right now? This is our only guarantee. Maybe that's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 118, verse 24, This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Why? I may not get another one. So I'm going to make this moment and this day count for the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is reminding Timothy of. Life, life is short. It rushes by ever so quickly. And whatever we intend to do for the kingdom of God, for the cause of our Lord Jesus Christ, in bringing Him glory and honor and praise, folks, it has to be done now. It's got to be done now. I was preaching in a revival meeting not long ago, and there was a sweet little lady in the church. Her name was Miss Elaine. Elaine was 99 years old. Do you know she was in every service of that revival meeting? If anybody had a reason to stay home, it would have been Miss Elaine at 99. She would meet me in the center aisle. I'd be walking up to the pulpit getting ready to preach, and she would stop me. And she said the same thing every night. She took me by the hand. She said, Brother Rick, my name's Elaine. Did I tell you I'm 99 years old? I said, uh, yes, ma'am, you told me last night and the night before that and the night before that. There was something about her being 99, almost 100, that God had given her all those years to live. But you know, when you think about it, even if you live to be 99, even if you live to be 100, what is that when you compare it to eternity? How quickly life passes by. And the issue for us is this. What am I doing with the time, the treasure, the talent, the opportunities that God has invested in me? See, folks, God's going to be looking for a return. Amen. A return on what He's invested in us and how much He's given us. How many blessings He has poured on us. The Bible says it this way. He has given us grace upon grace. How much He has lavished on us and poured out on us and invested in us. And what am I doing with the time, the treasure, the talent that God's invested in me as a return for His mercy and grace? Not working for our salvation. Don't misunderstand me. That was bought for us at the cross. Amen. But an opportunity to give back to Him because He's given so much to us. Just living every moment of every day with one goal in mind. That's to bring glory and honor and praise to the only one who's worthy. And that's our Lord Jesus. Can somebody say amen in the house?
So Paul says, Timothy, know this. He's going to return. And if he doesn't return in our lifetime, either way, our life is short. Our days are numbered. And life rushes by so quickly. One final thought in that passage. He reminds Timothy of a coming examination. He mentions it in verse 8. When he talks about the judge and that we're going to give an account of our lives before the judge of the universe. He says, henceforth, therefore, he's laid up for me this crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to give to me on that day. On what day? What day is he talking about? That moment in time when we stand before God and give an account of our lives. There's an exam coming. Now, I've got to tell you that when I think about exams and tests, I get a bit uncomfortable. And here's the reason why. When I was in school, I wasn't the sharpest pencil in the box. I failed the eighth grade and had to repeat it. I failed the ninth grade and had to repeat it. I almost failed the tenth grade. Now, I have five children. Thankfully, all five of them took after their mother, especially in the area of grades and studies. They, every one of them graduated. You know how it goes. It's at magna cum laude, summa cum laude. When I graduated, it was thank you, Lord. I, w- I was just glad I got out. Can I get an amen from somebody? Now I'm preaching where somebody lives. <laughs> so when I think about exams... A little uncomfortable, but the truth is every one of us will give an accounting of our life before the one who gave his life for us on the cross. An accounting. On February the 21st of last year, 2018, my hero was called home to be with the Lord. You probably know his name, his official name, William Franklin Graham. But of all of, all of us knew him, not by William Franklin, we all knew him by Billy, Billy Graham, 99 years of age. When I got the text that Billy had passed away, I was out of the country But when I got back into the country and I was driving back to my home in Virginia, I was passing right through Charlotte, North Carolina. And there on the interstate was a huge billboard with a big picture of Billy Graham. And at the bottom of the billboard, two words, finally home. I thought, what an appropriate statement for this incredible man of God. How can you measure the impact that one man had for the kingdom of God the thousands and thousands of people who have come to know Jesus Christ through his simple preaching of the gospel. They estimate that he preached face to face to over 150 million people. That doesn't count the books, the television, the radio, the print ads, and all the other means that they used to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Can you imagine? When Billy, when Billy got home, stood before his Lord, and 
the celebration that this great man of God who lived his life for one great purpose, and that's to exalt Jesus Christ and the reward that God must have had for his faithful servant who faithfully preached the truth of God, calling men to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. I tell you that because I need to tell you that 10 days before Billy Graham passed away, Another one of my heroes passed. She was my mama, 87 years of age, who loved Jesus Christ supremely, who had more of an impact on my life than I could possibly begin to tell you. Faithful woman of God, loved the Bible, prayed faithfully for me when I was a very broken, wayward son. Now, you've never done this, but one night when I was a teenager, running as fast and as far as I could from the will of God and the plan of God for my life, I came home past curfew. You've never done that. I came home past curfew. And I remember thinking, now I'm going to just quietly tiptoe down the hall and not wake up mama. (laughs) She'll never know. The problem was I had to pass her bedroom to get to my bedroom. Tiptoeing down the hallway, thinking I had made it, finally got in the house. She didn't hear me, didn't wake her up, and I'm going to get to my bedroom. She'll never know the difference. And suddenly a little tiny figure (laughs) appeared there in the hallway. I thought, well, there's Mama. And in just a moment, I'm going to get a lecture, and she's going to have a word with me, and I'm going to be grounded, and I'm in mega trouble. And so I continued my walk down the hallway until finally I stood right before my mama as she was blocking me from getting to my bedroom. You know, the scolding never came. When I got close enough to see the face of my mama, I could see tears rolling down her cheeks. She said to me, boy, I've been in that back bedroom, and I've been on my knees, and I've been praying, God, get a hold of my boy. God, reach his heart. God, bring him to Jesus Christ. God, do a work in his life and bring him home tonight. She told me that night something that I had never known before. She said, son, when you were born, in that delivery room, I took you in my arms and I held you up toward heaven and I said, father, make this boy a preacher of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. I never knew that. (laughs) Well, hello. Look what God did. Simply answered a mama's prayers. And it wasn't long after that. That this old rebellious teenager. Stopped running from God. And bowed his knees. And called on the name of Jesus Christ. And sure enough. God answered mama's prayers. And. Now I get to travel the world preaching the message of God's love and forgiveness. I want to tell you, how's it get any better than that? 
What a mighty God we serve. And for every single one of us here this morning, a plan, a purpose, a special design for every life. Maybe he hasn't called you to get on an airplane and go with me to Burma or Uganda or Haiti or wherever. But I know this. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. Dear one, don't miss it. Don't miss it. But in fresh surrender, yield your life to Jesus Christ and watch the miracles begin. Because I promise you, everything that Jesus is doing in my life and the lives of so many others, he'll do in your life if you simply trust him. And all God's people said, all God's people said, pray with me, will you? Heads are about, eyes are closed in these moments.